0: Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet and this is the Reading Women podcast where we are reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women and this is episode 26 where we are discussing The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin and The Bear and the Nightingale by Katherine Arden. Hello Kendra! Hello Autumn! Fun books. I'm so excited to talk about two of these. I have been waiting for both of them for so long and now we get to read them and talk about them.
1: I mean. You have literally been trying to get me to read the fifth season
0: for like five seasons, like literally. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I heard about it, I think, last year at least. And uh, it then it got a lot of buzz, especially when it won the Hugo. And I checked it, I rechecked it out of the library a bunch of times, but oh my goodness. Anyway, it's very good. It's very good. But first a little introduction. Right. So we want to talk a little bit about the two of these books and just do an intro for fantasy for those of you who don't read fantasy. So The Bear Nightingale is based off of a Russian fairy tale. So this is more of a fairy tale inspired fantasy book. So it is set in the quote-unquote real world but just at like a medieval like medieval Russia before it was united and became like you know Russia. So there's that book which just has like fantasy elements but then uh the fifth season is epic high fantasy which high fantasy just means it's set in its own universe altogether and then epic fantasy is i think self-explanatory wouldn't you say i don't epic fantasy like it's epic length yeah it's just it's just epic it, like it's huge Like mean, it has like it's very in-depth and okay yeah i <laughs> i'm making hand gestures to include oh yeah now the i see them <laughs> <laughs> thank you got it thank you <laughs> So, yeah, those are the two different... There, So, this is actually two different types of fantasy. We aren't doing really any really low fantasy stuff too much because that's more like Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere, you know? If any of you guys want to talk to me about it, that's great. I love talking about different kinds of she fantasy She does. Books.
1: This is true. I've heard the story many times. But I still know nothing about fantasy, so I guess I still need to learn. Anyway, tangent... As we mentioned in our last episode, we're doing something a little bit different this month where our topic is broader. Usually we have a very narrow sort of topic and very similar picks. But with our theme this month, which is fictional universes, we are making it more inclusive of different types of books. So this is how we can have these two books paired in one season or in one episode. So Let us know what you think. Um, This is something we're new we're trying. And if you like it, we'll keep doing more of it. It's been fun. It was a lot of fun to like decide what to pick and then like sorting it all together. Our first book is The Baron and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden, and it is published in the U.S. by Del Rey. And this book came out last Christmas or last Thanksgiving, I think. In the UK, and we talked about it in our most anticipated books episode in January, and so it wasn't published in the US until January. When I find, well, no, I got this as a birthday present from
0: Kendra because she's magical, like this book. We we talked about the cover forever, and actually, when we promoted it at like the New Year, we did like a countdown. We we used the UK cover.
1: We did, we did, <laughs> but you know. But now-
0: But now there's another one coming out, and the covers match. So I don't know what we're going to do now. I guess we'll just have to keep buying books from the UK. And the problem with that is... I guess nothing, really. (laughs) No, there's not a problem at all. So our first question is, what was your initial impression
1: of the book? It was everything I wanted it to be, and yet totally unexpected. So as we mentioned, it mentions a lot of Russian fairy tales, which I know absolutely positively nothing about Russian folklore, I think because a lot of our Western fairy tales come from a either a uh, Brothers Grimm or Hans Christian Andersen kind of tradition, folklore, but they're so changed and distilled that they're kind of unrecognizable. So, for example, the book very early on tells the story of the winter demon, which is kind of like jack frost but not really it's definitely has more teeth to it than most traditional american fairy tales so i definitely loved the folklore fairy tale feel to it but it definitely was it was definitely a traditional fairy tale in that it is very rugged and not a disney-fied fairy tale (laughs) definitely
0: definitely i mean that is there are no fucking snowmen here no talking snowmen. There there is a stepmother. So most of the original stepmothers yes. in the I guess the, were actually mothers in the original fairy tales. They just made them stepmothers to make them more palatable. <laughs> I don't know, right? But this one actually is a stepmother. Yes. Which is very interesting. Um I really enjoyed the dynamic between the city and the country. So this is set in the northern part of the region area kingdom whatever um and so they when the dad wants to go find a a wife for his now motherless children he goes to the city originally where his wife is from to find someone to marry because i mean that's i guess how it works at the time and it's like a it's like he's treated as this rural ignorant stupid Man, and so he the people try to slough off their children, like on him, you know what I'm saying. And even though his wife is of a higher, like, rank you know, his first wife is higher rank than him, um, he eventually, um, gets you know, the what is he, a king? Is he a king, or what is no,
1: he's like a, a regional nobleman, yeah. So I think it would be like a duke,
0: something equivalent, yeah. I'm not sure, that's interesting, but anyway, he basically gets his daughter that the king doesn't or whatever the dude doesn't the nobleman doesn't like his daughter and so he gives it to this poor man and i'm like what it's so sad i know so but i really was really interested in that dynamic because part of the old ways which we see avasia it can see like spirits and things and she's really connected with nature and she can ride horses and do all these unfeminine things so i really thought the parallels between like that and like the country and the city and there was just a lot of themes about that and going back to nature and being more one with nature and I thought those were really well done and I didn't expect that in the book at all I just thought it was going to be like a fairy tale you know so yeah that contrast between like the
1: rural life and the city life is definitely a big deal and there there definitely is a sense of isolation in the farther reaches where they do things more traditionally so I mentioned in the last episode that a important part in the book the priest in the town dies and it is a like an orthodox kind of church and they go to the an emissary is sent to Moscow where the bishop is supposed to like pick a new priest and send him to this rural area so he sends this guy who paints icons and so he's becoming so popular and there's about to be a change in the government that they're afraid that he's going to upset the very tenuous balance that they have in the kingdom right now so they decide to basically banish him into this really tiny city and he doesn't have a choice in it and he doesn't want to go and he ends up going but he kind of brings with him this modern moscow way of looking at things he Starts encouraging the people to give up their offerings to these wood sprites and these house spirits and all of these things and telling them that they need to, that that's old and outdated and that they need to transition over to these more modern ways of viewing the world.
0: And yeah, and I think it's very interesting how this returns to the idea of the more pure rural people, because currently literature is more like, if you go to the city, you're going to be enlightened and you'll realize you know, how ignorant you were, but it used to be that it was the opposite, that you lived a more pure idealistic life if you lived in a smaller town. And what's interesting is that this follows more that dynamic because you have a person coming from the city telling people in this tiny village this rural town how to live their life when he has no idea how harsh life is in the north of the area like they talk about how they have to stock up food and they always go a little hungry in the winter but it's considered you know a big deal if you have meat all the way through the winter you know and it was really interesting to see him just coming in and trying to tell them how to live and just that change in I guess what we are reading as contemporary literature, which is very interesting.
1: It's interesting too because a lot of the characters in this book have predestined fates for them, in the sense that so, like, this priest doesn't have a choice in coming here, and then the sons, like, they're like on a very set path. You know, they're supposed to like get married and inherit, you know, part of the family land.
0: The. the- the daughter, the stepmom, she wanted to become a nun.
1: Yes, and like so like the, the stepmother, she wanted to initially go into a convent, but again, for political reasons, her family made her marry this guy. And so what's fascinating, though, is that the characters who seem to just do what they are told, though I wonder how the brother plays into this theory. You know the brother who becomes an, a monk? Yeah,
0: well, he's the only one that actually is functionally a good individual you know like when Vasya you know she wants to stay close to the woods and she doesn't want to get married and so that's a big deal what's going to happen to her but her brother who does become a monk actually like enjoys his life basically (laughs) and and the stepmother doesn't she doesn't want to ever get married she doesn't know this strange man who you know she has a child with and she'd never met him before like their wedding day And uh, the priest wanted to go and just travel around, you know, the country and paint icons. But no, he's sent to this, like, rural village. Well, and the thing that's
1: interesting is that the the people who follow these predestined paths, like, turn into the... The monsters that the people are so afraid of. So it's kind of like the, the townspeople are afraid of these things that lurk in the shadows and these things that hide in the woods. And in the end, these people who just allow themselves to kind of be pushed around by society end up becoming the monsters of the town and end up doing a lot of harm to the townspeople.
0: Yeah, and in this in this universe, there are actually house spirits and wood sprites who help keep the fires going and who help keep the horses fed and keep the horses calm, and they actually do have an influence on the town. So when the townspeople become afraid after, like, the priest basically threatens them, uh, they quit giving their offerings, and then bad stuff happens, and the winter gets harsher, and then this, like, demon thing starts waking up, and that's really where the big conflict comes from the book is that the fact that since they're not giving these offerings this horrible thing is waking up
1: and vasya kind of balances on this line through the whole book because on the one hand she is the special daughter of the family and that like she's the daughter that was born in childbirth so she's like she kind of has like this Bad mark on her, but at the same time, like she's seems to want to please people, and she seems to want what's best for the townspeople and what's best for her family. But what society is telling her to do goes against what she intuitively believes because of her powers is wrong. So she, so she kind of has to go against the the societal conventions in order to do the right thing.
0: This has a lot of feminism like, themes throughout the book, because we see, like, Vasi is very good at riding horses, and she's very good at woodsy things, and she's not very much a lady. Like, she's supposed to be a lady of the house, make a good marriage, and have babies, but she doesn't want to do any of that stuff, and she really is trying to convince her, her dad to not do it, but the stepmom really hates her, you know, stepdaughter, and so she's trying to, you know, get her married off, and so there's that really funny scene where, like, the suitor comes over. And yes. And he gets out. <laughs> she outrides him. And... But he was
1: old and gross.
0: Yes, he was disgusting. And he didn't treat his horse well.
1: He was so nasty. No, he was horrible to his horse. Never trust a man who treats his horse terribly.
0: Advice from Autumn. Seriously. Seriously. I'm going to write that one down.
1: <laughs> um. So another one of the questions we had was like, how does the story deviate or expand on the traditional fairy tale? And we've talked about this a little, but one thing that I thought was interesting was how Vasya is actually a savior character. So like in a lot of fairy tales, it's usually like, you know, the prince who comes in and like sacrifices or, you know, gives up his life or, you know, something like that to save everybody. But she is kind of in this role. Which you don't ever see in a traditional like fairy tale or in a traditional like hero kind of tale. So it kind of spins that on his head, that its head. In the end, warning, warning, spoiler, spoiler, her dad dies in order to save her and her brother. But that's like a different kind of sacrifice. And at first it kind of confused me, but I really think that's more of a familial kind of sacrifice like he does it to save his children
0: versus she is set up to be the savior of the whole entire town and she also has to become sort of like a scapegoat and has to leave after yes. all of this is over and it's sort of like and sort of like batman in like the christopher nolan batman films where he like has to like you know take the bullet for everyone so that you know, it can be a better world or whatever. So uh, she does the same thing. She leaves because no one's going to want to talk to her because they think she's a witch. She has a hard time. She does. And it's really interesting because we just get touches of all of this magical world with the wood sprites and stuff. But near the end, you have like these weird Russian vampires that like people will die. They're so creepy. They rise from the dead. And they come, and and the priest is, like, this woman is, like, straddling him, and and she actually is trying to, like, kill him, which I thought was very fitting for him. You know, it does need, we do need to note, like, the priest has a sexual thing for Vasya. Yes. Like, he is sort of obsessed with her. But it's more in a fetish kind of way. Yes, it definitely is. And it's very uncomfortable it's extremely uncomfortable but he keeps like wanting to fix her as like penance for his attraction to her and whatever way that is and it's very disturbing
1: i think that's another way that this book is more complicated than a traditional fairy tale is that it's not clear-cut who the good guys and who the bad guys are because the priest is would traditionally be the good guy but he is a very complicated character and he ends up he ends up like literally doing a deal with the devil thinking that it's which is quite disturbing god it's very disturbing so he gets so confused so like that line between like what's good and bad is not very clear cut and you
0: really don't know what it is until the end he definitely plays with that because even like there are two frost spirits like there are two cold spirits and at first like the one that Vasi is connected to is what we would say is the good one but they he's still like traditionally called like basically the frost demon but he's not the actual evil one he's the one that keeps the evil one from rising again and taking over the world yep just take as i also loved his house
1: oh my goodness i loved his house too So all of those things, I think, combined are things that set it apart from a traditional fairy tale. I will say the vampire stuff is really creepy. So if you're not really into vampires, then you might just want to skim those pages. And another thing is that the names are really complicated. I really need to do some research into Russian and how Russian name endings work. Because it seems like, from what I can tell, like depending on how close you are to a person, you have a different nickname for them, but it makes it really hard to keep track of character names. So
0: I will say that. And there are like feminine versions of a surname at the masculine. It's just so confusing. But kudos to Catherine
1: Arden for making it very realistic. I'm glad she didn't go easy on us because it's good
0: to be exposed to that. It was so good. Like I I started at 10. It's one of those start at 10 and I finished at three in the morning. Yeah, it was one of those.
1: We could keep talking about this clearly, um, but I think that we're just going to draw a line and say that's the end of our discussion of The Bear and the Nightingale by Katherine Arden.
0: And so our spot for this episode is our Patreon. As you might know, we started a Patreon last month for our birthday month, and many of you have already supported us, and so thank you so much for doing that. We just started doing rewards in the beginning of July, so we've done a video chat with some of our patrons and we have the first newsletter for our patrons went out and I really enjoyed talking to people on the Patreon. We talk about like different themes that are coming up. We gave out the entire quarter. We have for Baby Friday and people different people comment and we always respond to comments and it's a lot more, um, it's a smaller group so it's a lot more personable feeling. and get to know people better which is awesome. So if you would like to support us you can go over to our Patreon page. To become a patron, it's just a dollar. And if every one of our listeners gave a dollar, we would be set for a very long time. That would be great.
1: Yeah. And as we mentioned before, it's just Kendra and I. And so all of this, anything we get from our Patreon will go directly back into hosting and it'll go back into promotional materials that we ship to you. And it'll go into, you know, helping pay for shipping to for our giveaway. So every dollar counts. And also, we're also just excited to get to know our listeners better. And we've had some great conversations with you on Twitter and on Instagram and we're kind of hoping that this will be a way to kind of consolidate those conversations and to help you all get to know each other too. So we're super excited about this.
0: It's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. It's sort of like our own personal discussion like private discussion channel that's safe from all the trolls on Twitter. (laughs) This is true. This is very (laughs) true and they exist. Oh heaven. So yeah that's that is our Patreon and you'll find a link in the show notes that you can go check that out okay it's time to talk about the fifth season friends and this is by n.k Jemison, the glorious the wonderful n.k Jemison, and is out from orbit in the united states and the next book in the series comes out next month so you still have time to get these and read them and be ready and prepared and you don't have to wait that long before we talk about the book how many series does she have? I was looking at her on Goodreads. She has duology. She has a giant omnibus that's over a 1,000 pages long. I do own that one. Um, and then there, I think, so there are two or three three series other than the Broken Earth trilogy. She's amazing. I would just like to say that. Yes, and a lot of those books have been nominated for Science Fiction and Fantasy Awards, and I've never read her before this, and I feel shamed, but I did buy the Omnibus 1,000-page edition for my Kindle. I am prepared for (laughs) post-Broken Earth, uh, state slump, because I'm just preparing. Okay. I just... (laughs) So our first question is... Our initial impressions of the book, which I think that's kind of obvious for me, so. Okay, so Kendra has been scolding me because I don't read
1: enough fantasy (laughs) and that I haven't read real fantasy before, and then she was concerned that I wouldn't like it. She was very concerned, and I wasn't concerned at all.
0: I knew I would love it.
1: (laughs) I knew. (laughs) Anyway... So I went in expecting it to be crazy, but it was amazing. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, I think I was about about a quarter of the way into it, I was like, what is going on? I don't know what is going on, but I love this. It's magical and crazy and weird, but I love it. And then about halfway through, I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> now I understand, and it's even
0: better than I thought it was before. Yeah, we rarely gush like this. Like, We gush for a lot of books, but this book, I don't know. Like, the fifth season, it just takes the cake. It is very unique. It is. Everything from this fantasy world, I, first, I was kind of confused, because usually you're like, elves and dwarves and we're in the medieval world, but this one is not like that, because every fifth season will rust metal, but then they still have medical advances, so they can attach your arms back, they can, like, they have antibiotics, but then people are still running around in like court, or carts and buggies, and then they're, they have an actual caste system. So whatever caste you're born in is the one that you usually stay in. I think if your parents are of two castes, you might be able to choose, but I'm not sure. But there's definitely, like, that kind of social system. So it's like a mix of a bunch of different things.
1: Yeah, and I think that that is helpful, though, because it really helps you— like, it's a fresh story. Like, it really genuinely is. There is nothing, at least that I could sense, that was kind of stereotypical fantasy about it. It just felt really fresh and new and a completely unique plot.
0: Yeah, and there are these stone eater creatures, and they, like, are people made of stone. There are creatures who change their personality. And then there are the obelisks, and the obelisks are named after different types of stone, like amethyst or obsidian, or whatever. You pick it, you know, it's there.
1: I'm still confused about obelisks, but we will table that conversation for another
0: day. Yes, the second book explains all about obelisks. Yes, so, so apparently... If you two listeners are confused. Yeah,
1: apparently I'm supposed to just read the second book and just stop talking about obelisks until I finish the second book.
0: <laughs> but I'm really
1: confused about them. I don't understand the engineering, but... I'm
0: trying to let it go. I'm really trying. So, yeah, they're these obelisks, and they're basically like little reservoirs of power. And you get to learn more about the magic system in the second book. But in the first book, it mainly focuses on how the origins move the earth around. And they can move things like coral and... Just different interesting things like that. And they also have, like, this Taurus thing where they can, like, freeze people if they can't, you know, if they can't control themselves. They can accidentally kill people as children and stuff. They don't.
1: She doesn't really explain the system, which I think is good at first because then you don't get bogged down. You just kind of get caught up in the story and invested in the characters. So we start out from three different points of view, and then it kind of merges into one point of view, which I think is a great way to tell a story.
0: It was very well done. It was very well done. It really messes with your brain, like the whole timeline thing, and you're like, wait Very well done. She just said they're not in a fifth season. Right. Oh. Right. And I
1: didn't realize until several chapters in that it was not chronological. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. That changes everything. But the story basically focuses on Origins, who we've already discussed, have magical powers. Well, one origin in particular. And so we kind of get it from their point of view. And as Kendra mentioned, there is a caste system. So one of the questions we had was, like, kind of like, what do the origins represent? And like, what does their enslavement say about the society that they live in? Because they are slaves. Like, they are shunned from society, and if any of them is discovered, they're sent to the fulcrum to be trained and basically to be subjugated.
0: Right, and they really, like, have no control over their lives, and they have, like, this ring system, and they basically can even be told, go have a child with this person. Yes. And it's really awful because we have Cyanite, and she is a fulcrum origin, and she is told to go have a child with Alabaster. And she has no control over this at all. And basically what they try to do is they have feral, quote-unquote, uh, origins who are found, like, in the wild. And then they have ones that they have bred in the fulcrum. So they command origins to have children with each other for bloodlines based on their power and stuff. It's, it's horrible. And I can
1: see how she's co- trying to comment on modern manifestations of slavery. But because it is in such an unfamiliar context, I think it's even— I think it really brings home the point of what she's trying to do because the atrocities committed against the origins are just absolutely horrifying. The class distinctions, and like she has a, there's a whole different set of
0: races. Is that what she would call them? You think? Yeah, like they're sort of like races. She never uses. I don't think she really talks about like the no. word race, but she'll have like that there are West Coasters and. You know, these people are from the central part of the continent or these people from Antarctic and there's people from all across, um, the skin tone like range, but she never really says that as explicitly as we would. She creates sort of like new terms for the universe and uses those.
1: And I think because all the terms are new and because the context is so familiar, it's a lot easier to kind of understand what she's saying about the way that people who live on the same piece of earth treat each other.
0: Yeah. And... It's just really interesting also. It has, like, sort of, it ties that into, like, the witch-burning kind of idea that their origins are un- misunderstood and they're often killed before the fulcrum can find them. But then the fulcrum training of the children is an abomination to all that is human. They break their hands on purpose to see if they can control their powers while they're in pain. And they have, like, these guardians that can, like take away their power they have like basically a magical ability to control their abilities essentially they they can turn them off and they really treat the children horribly in like the training school thing where they take all the kids to but and it's like they have complete and total control not just of their lives but of how their thoughts and how they view themselves
1: one thing that i thought was really sad is that basically the fulcrum teaches the origins that they have limits to their power and that there are things that they can't do that it is and they do it under the guise of that it is scientifically impossible for you to do X, Y, and Z. But it's lies. And so in reality they can do these things and they do have stronger powers, but it is just another way
0: of for them to control these very powerful people. And the whole point of controlling the origins is to prevent a fifth season when a fifth season does come, they kill all of the origins. Did I know that? Yeah, they came, they're commanded to kill themselves, or they are killed. That's so sad. Yeah, it is. It is really sad. But I mean, it's also pointed out in the book that obviously they don't do that because then how could they have such excellent like bloodlines and stuff? But they just lie to the all of the people that they do this. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's basically a ruse to maintain power, and that's one of the big. Things is that a certain empire has been in control for the last several seasons, like fifth season. It's really, like, parts of this book are really hard to read because of how they te- treat children specifically. So just be prepared that there is a huge trigger warning for violence against children in this book.
1: Yeah, kind of violence in general. It's very intense, I will say that. Maybe not violent so much as just intense.
0: Yeah. But it's good.
1: It's very good. It is
0: very good. And it has a bunch of different characters, and she really, like, their um, marriage isn't as big of a thing in the entire continent's culture. Like, they have what they call breeders. Yes. And so they're, like, people with... Which is a use, what is it, a use use, name? use cast? I think it's your use name. Like, well, I mean, that's their, your cast is your use name. Oh, yeah. So, like, one of, like, the casts or jobs, like, your cast is sort of, like, your job, sort of. But not quite um but there is breeders and it's basically if you have ge- desirable genetics you can use that to help your commune which is like your city almost to like make better people I guess it's really weird so it it's very common like they don't really have closed marriages I guess yeah would be a way to describe it
1: even though a soon um, is married sp-
0: yeah but I think I think it depends on the calm that you live in it must be or or like if maybe if she wanted to have a child with a breeder she could and that would help their genetics and her husband would totally expect it because that one well never mind breeders are talked about later in the next book (laughs) so (laughs) I won't spoil that one right so it's very common for people to have different types of relationships and different types of couplings you might say so just be prepared that there are some sexy times in this book so if that's something that you look out for, for in books, or concerned about. So there
1: is some sex in the book, but it is not overwhelming part of the plot. It is kind of near the end of the book, and it kind of just serves a point in the plot, and it makes sense when you're there. But just be advised, <laughs> <that> it exists.
0: <laughs> sex it exists, listeners. Be forewarned.
1: <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so I also appreciated the wide range of characters, and since it is not set in an since it's not set in our kind of a universe, I think she has a lot of flexibility to show a lot of different character types, especially as far as it comes to like race and gender and things like that, and it just really just showing like the humanity of the people who live there. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was very good. And, you know, a lot of fantasy writers are great at world building and the general story, but she really, like, is so amazing at plot. Like, when you can go back and you look and you see what she did, like, plot-wise, you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And blowing. And I didn't really realize how few times I think that when I'm reading a fantasy book.
1: Yeah, she's amazing. And... It is a little complicated at first, and I had to keep myself from Googling and reading about it. But do not Google
0: until you finish. It pays off. Yes. And it continues that way through the second book. Like, it is still a strong second book, and I really appreciated how... So, the second book deals mainly with Asun finding this commune where origins are accepted, and how, like, she deals with that, and it also covers some secondary characters. So, one of the things I did want to talk to you about, Autumn, is fan theories. Since neither of us know how this book ends, what do you think? How the series ends... Well, like some details, like for example, one of the theories that I tend to agree with is: um, is this book actually our world before it was a bunch of different continents? Like, does this continent split into a bunch of different ones and become our planet, universe, world? No. Whatever. No. No, I don't think so. I I think it might. So, you want to make it? We should make us some sort of bet on this.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I could like I can see that. But at the same time, like, I don't want to say it's an alien planet, because that just seems kind of bizarre. But I think maybe it's like an alternate Earth.
0: Oh, like an, like, okay, like its own universe type, like its own, okay, but sort of set on an Earth-like. Well, I think that could be interesting to see what happens, because some details are revealed in, well, the last part of the, like, the last line of the book is, have you heard of something called the moon? And so I was like, oh, what's going on with this? And I don't know the answer to this question. Like, it's not revealed in the second book at all. But my fan theory is, is that part of pulling the moon back into orbit is that also that somehow the Earth gets split again. Like, the continents already split once. I think it could be split into a bunch of different people, and that could have what created the continents. And then somehow Father Earth might turn into a more kind-like figure and become Mother Earth or something, you know, yeah. as we call her. So that is my fan theory.
1: Yes. Because she does talk about Father Earth, and it is called the Broken Earth. But I don't—I wasn't under the impression that it was pre-modern Earth. What I would like to see—I don't know if this is technically a fan theory, not seeing as how I'm newly to the fantasy fan world— Um but I think that Aesun is going to, like, control everything.
0: Oh, she! what if she became Mother Earth? Oh, that's a good theory. That would be cool. I just feel
1: like she's set up to be something, like, really amazing and really powerful. And have a lot yeah. of control.
0: Over yes, everything. I think so. Because, I, I mean, she meets Alabaster again at the end of the first book. And so she has to, like... Well, obviously, she's going to talk to him and learn more crap from him. So, like, she's going to be awesome and, like, control, like, everything is what I agree. Because, yeah, and I wonder, like, also, like, what role her daughter is going to play in this. Because her daughter is also an origin. Yes. So, what is she going to do? And, obviously, she's going to be uberly powerful because she's, you know, Essene's daughter. So. Even, like, with her son, she alludes to the fact when her son is murdered
1: about how the atmosphere was shifting to kind of focus on him. So I think that her son who was murdered was also very powerful. So I am interested to see what happens to her daughter. I'm dying to know where she is. I can't believe it wasn't revealed at the end of this book. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens to her.
0: One of the things that I really loved about this book is that this book is about a over 40 woman of color. This book is about like a real person and she talks like she's not like especially gorgeous or beautiful and she talks about how you know she's had three kids so she has she's a bit flabby and i just really loved how it was a book about a middle-aged woman you know yeah how many there aren't that many books about middle-aged women usually most fantasy books are like no there are person discovers they have amazing powers they are indeed the chosen one they also save the world And they're also very young, too young to be out at night. (laughs) And then they have, like, the person that teaches them everything, and then that person tragically dies. And Well, and I think that's the
1: thing that I appreciate about Asun, is that she's been through so much that she has wisdom, because she's been through a lot of really terrible things. And so she seems kind of hesitant, but I actually think she also is not as... headstrong well maybe not headstrong is the right word but she's not as um hot-headed about stuff she seems more balanced and more focused which i think is a maturity thing she's more mature that's what i'm trying to say so i really appreciate that too because i feel like a lot of books especially in this genre are about
0: like young reckless kids so and we still can see like how she became to to be where she was. We see her at three different stages of her life. So we see her in different manifestations of her self and how she changes over time, which is excellent because you literally think from the very beginning that these are three separate characters because they're so incredibly different. Yeah. And I think that's definitely like her point is that the horrible things in her life changed Herself, and she became, you know, Demaya became Cyanite after that woman was like murdered, and he took the thing out of her head, and she had, got her first ring when she was especially young, and then Cyanite became Esun when she, the island was attacked, and she had to kill her own son. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. My goodness, the three viewpoint like you think they're actually three different characters and, and they're not. But in the second like the second book there actually are like other viewpoint characters. So like she continues to use her skill to create like new well rounded characters who are multifaceted and complex.
1: Well that's like Hoa. We haven't even talked about Hoa. Yeah. He is a point of view character and I wish I'd paid more I, I should have gone back. Well, I need to go back and reread his section when we're first introduced to him because he's he's a very interesting. I guess it's a he. It he is a very fascinating character. So I'm excited to read the second book and the third book.
0: Great series. I'm gonna I'm going all in. I'm so proud. I feel like my work is done. <laughs> Podcast mission accomplished. least mine is introduce Autumn to fantasy. Check. Uh. So, yeah. So that is the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin that's out from orbit. And please, please, please go find yourself a copy. You can find a copy in our bookstore. And if you don't already, we will have both the fifth season and Obelisk Gate in there. And you can get both of them. Because they are amazing. And you're good, like the the scene of the first second book is actually the last scene of the first book. So like they just they seamlessly go together. Yes. I know what Autumn's doing after recording this podcast. Yeah,
1: you won't see me for a few days.
0: (laughs) Okay. I'm prepared.
1: So I think that's it. So we've made it to the end of another discussion episode. Yeah.
0: So our next theme next month for the month of August we're very excited about we've been planning this for months so next month we are going to be talking about women in translation for women in translation month so actually a couple years ago a woman started hashtag women in translation month or Wit month and she uses it to celebrate women in translation across all of social media so we are uh, joining that and celebrating all of the women in translation. I think that's pretty much self-explanatory. So we've been really excited. I have been like squirreling away books and I actually have selected way more than I can talk about. So now comes the time when we have to like wait through them. <laughs> and yes, I've had my books picked out
1: for several months too, and I'm thrilled to get to finally read them. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. So you won- definitely want to tune in. Um, if you haven't already, please write or review us in iTunes Stitcher. Um, we are also in TuneIn now if you use that podcatcher. So uh, any reviews are wonderful, and it helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate it.
1: And that's our show. So in the meantime, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter and Instagram, and let's see, at Autumn Privet. And you can find Kendra at K D Winchester, D is in Dylan, on Instagram and Twitter, and let's see and on youtube because she's a booktube channel and yes and then of course um we now have a patreon page that's another way for you to connect with us and once again thank you all so much for your support and for recommending books and for reading along with us we really appreciate it we appreciate you sharing the love about the reading women podcast and thank you so much for listening
0: talk to you guys later